When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Kurt Vonnegut Radio. This is Gabe Hudson, and this is my podcast. Today on the show, I'm super excited. We've got a fabulous writer, Michael Estrin, the author behind the beloved newsletter, Situation Normal. These pieces that Michael writes about his life in another context might even be called autofiction. They're very funny, full of pathos, humanity, and... They are also vulnerable and honest because the situation is not always normal for Michael. Now, the other very cool thing about Michael's writing endeavor on Substack is a creative partnership with his wife, who also has her own very successful career that is not related to this. But nevertheless, the way that he talks about the creative process that they share together, I found super compelling and frankly rare. They enter scenarios in the world looking for stories, looking for unique things to engage with. What else do I have to announce for you? Ah, I just interviewed Dave Eggers today. It was a fabulous interview. He's a dear old friend. We've known each other for 25 years, basically, from when his first book came out and McSweeney's launched. It was really good to sit down with him and have a heart-to-heart. And that episode will be released tomorrow, Thursday. So if you have not signed up for this podcast, Kurt Vonnegut Radio, then go over to Substack and subscribe. As you can see by the volume of podcasts that I'm putting out per week and the quality and the quality of the guests, this is basically a very full-time job. Fortunately, I love doing it, so it's a source of joy. But this is also how I pay for my groceries. So if you're in a position to become a paid subscriber because you think that I should be able to eat while I make podcast episodes for you, then I would encourage you to please become a paid subscriber. Now, let's get back to the main production, which is our special guest writer today, Michael Estrin. The reason why I really hit upon Situation Normal was that the situational aspect. It's stuff that's happening to me. I am a character, obviously. Christina, my wife, is a character. Does she enjoy being a character? I think she does enjoy being a character. She's the creative director. And Christina, we have a shorthand. She'll just look at me. And if she needs a verbal confirmation, which sometimes she doesn't, it just will share a look. But she'll just say, are you working? And what she means by that is the story is unfolding right now. Something is happening and I am trying to take it all in. And I'm really fortunate to have a wife who is understanding about, oh my God, that's so impressive. That's her energy. I don't think I would try to be working in a situation where we're trying to have a date, but stuff happens and she can roll with it. And I think she's enthusiastic about your endeavor. 
She is. I think it probably helped that I wasn't doing this when I met her. There are some situation normal stories that are a little bit more by design, meaning I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that we're deliberately going to go have an experience and then I'm going to write about it. It's like being a reporter. You're going to go cover an event. You need to get some quotes. You need to get some story elements, and then you'll come back and put it together. Christina is aware of that, too. You have a great situation. That's so cool to have that kind of supportive, enthusiastic partner, someone that creatively wants to help make it go. Christina, she is somebody who is also going to say, hey, we should do this or we should do that. And so we had this experience at the end of last year where she had just quit her job and we had that rare combination of money and time. And so we decided mm -hmm. to travel together. And one of the things we talked about, we went to Bali. And one of the things that we talked about was where, whether I should be writing about it. And it's right. not really a travel newsletter. And it's a weird thing to say, oh, I'm going to take this comedy act on the yeah, road. luxury time in Bali. Can we get some more paid subscribers up in this mother? Yeah, yeah that's it's a weird way to ask for money. And she's like, no, let's do the writing. Or you should write about this experience. And sometimes funny things happen, or sometimes it's just writing about, we took a cooking class. We also, there's a lot of monkeys in Bali. And then right. we have resorts where... They're in these beautiful places where there's a lot of nature around and they have yeah. monkeys in the jungle nearby. But when the humans stop going to the resort, the monkeys move in. The hotel staff was telling us that the monkeys were using the pool and stuff like that. But we came back a few months after they'd reopened and the monkeys were still of the opinion that this was theirs, not ours. And those monkeys are aware that each room has a mini bar. And so yeah. I wrote about it. We had a situation where as we were leaving, we got trapped in the room because a, a monkey entered our room and I just full on panicked. And Christina did not panic and she got rid of the monkey. I wrote that story. I pressed send, sent it out. And then we went to bed and the next morning we woke up and Christina was like, what did people think? And basically the consensus from the situation normal community is that I am a total coward and you are a hero and I'm yeah. lucky to have you, which is all true. I would stand by all of those assessments. You're the hero of that story. So she is an intricate part of situation normal. Like, I disconnect. think this is cool. This is one of my favorite things about all this. The partnership. Situation Normal has been going for three years. This kind of writing has been going on than that. Candidly, I don't think there's a thing that I've written since we've met that she hasn't played a part in. So this Situation Normal, your substack. if I'm getting this picture right, you go about your life and you've got your peepers open for just the whiff of something that could make for that week's story the next week's. Is that right? hundred percent. That seems like it makes your life so much more interesting when you're having to pay very close attention. Makes my life interesting. I think it makes me more present. It also makes me, sometimes this gets like overused. It makes me more grateful. Don't worry about that LA cynicism. I ain't got that. You can be grateful. I'm well, not going to judge you. I'm very cautious about the people in my life. I talk to my sister a couple times a week. We're just really close. And I said to her at one point, Allison, can I tell this story with you in it? And she was like, yeah, why are you even asking? I'm not trying to brag here, but when you signed up for this newsletter, it was 100 people and you knew half of them. Now there's 4,000 people and you don't know any of them and we share a last name. For you to put a story on there, does it have to be true or how true does it have to be? That's a really good question. I think about this a lot. The, the answer is yes, it has to be true. The thing that above all has to be true is what a, a comic would call the premise. 
the setup, what happened, this happened, that mm -hmm. has to be true. I try to hew as much as possible to the truth because yeah. it tends to be more interesting. I had an ongoing catalytic converter saga and I wrote about it, I think five or six times. You turn your subsect into a crime blotter? Yeah, in a weird way, right? These zests are pretty rampant in America right now. A guy on Substack who told me, I will just forever associate you with catalytic converter theft. I'm happy about that because I've been telling these low stakes. He's a catalytic converter guy in these people's lives. You can't have someone else come in and start telling catalytic converter stories. Take over the terrain you've earned. No, that's my beat for both crime and comedy purposes. I own that beat, right? Or yeah. try to. But to make it work as a story, you do have to make some adjustments. I got to meet a, a writer who worked for a couple of seasons on Seinfeld. He was explaining how that writing team thought about slice of life humor. What he basically said was, if you're going to do slice of life humor, your beat is everything because your beat is life, right? So anything that yeah. can happen in life is fair game. But what you have to do is you have to pick small topics and make them into mountains. And that was a really clarifying way for me to think about it. I was probably doing it without thinking about it or articulating it in that way. What I'm trying to do is it's a small frustration, make it speak to us in a way that's like universally true because we've all experienced the frustration that I'm talking about. Right. But yep. can I do it in a way that's funny? Sometimes just in real life, something is happening. And as it's happening, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to make situation normal. And in those moments, I find that what I need to do is I need to really focus on be present. And then the other thing that I'm trying to do in those moments is it's an improv technique. It's just yes. Anding. I have a racist neighbor. I, I don't think he's called himself a racist, but he says racist things. I don't like this man, but he's yeah. also my neighbor. So there's no getting out of it. He's not racist against you. As far as I know, he's not prejudiced against me. I don't think he likes Jewish people, and I think he can figure yeah. out that I'm Jewish, but he hasn't identified me as a problem. He is a guy who will say terrible things about a neighbor on one side used to be a woman from El Salvador, and he would say terrible things about her, but lovely things about our Cuban neighbors on the other side. And I was like, I don't understand why your racism only goes in one direction and not the other. Right. I've written about him for Situation Normal, you know. My feeling is I'm not going to change his views. I'm not going to accept his views. I will tell him to his face, but that's racist crap. But when we talk, I try to yes and him, not when he's going in a, in a racist direction, but when right. he is going in a direction of his mind tends to go towards conspiracy theories, I will yep. absolutely yes and the conspiracy theories because I want to see where he's going to go with it. And so I'll just say, oh yeah, that's totally true. But with my racist neighbor, I understand what our relationship is and how we connect to each other. And it's that we're neighbors. He is there when some bad shit happens in the neighborhood. Like another neighbor had a fire and he was present for that and actually handled himself quite well. If someone tries to get that catalytic converter again, he's going to come out and yell. Christina and I talked about he's the type to look for quote unquote second amendment solutions. And Christina was like, where was he on all of this stuff? How come he wasn't yeah. out there like stopping all of these? Because it wasn't just my catalytic converter that got stolen. It was a whole lot. They, they were getting jack left and right from your neighborhood. They hit three or four neighbors in the same night and they did it again. Oh. And I was like, our big back the blue guy was just nowhere yeah. to be seen in any of this. Maybe he took the catalytic converters. I thought that, but I don't think so. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I tend to think about comedy. It can be a positively charged thing or a negatively charged thing. It's a very powerful tool and it can be set in a direction where you can punch down and you can really hurt people 
and you can put a lot of negative stuff into the universe. I want to be honest with people. If there's a bad situation, I don't want to sugarcoat it, but I also want to put something positive out there, right? And right. And, or something that feels to me that's positively charged. I wrote a story recently about the comedic misunderstanding at a donut shop where the woman at the donut shop was trying to run her business in the middle of losing her husband and just having a really bad day. But a lot of people responded to it because it's just about human beings holding space for each other and having a moment. And there's a half a joke at the end, but it's not a very good joke. It's not about the humor. It's about just right. being there with someone. And I guess in that way, I think is where the gratitude comes in. It forces me to pay attention to what's going on around me, but it also forces me to think about what that stuff is. I don't just want to be present when it's happening, but then I'm going to come back to my desk and I'm going to do some writing. And I want to think about what it all means and how we show up for each other and how we show up for strangers, which is not something mm -hmm. that we think about a lot. We've all had this experience of you see somebody who is very clearly in emotional pain, right? And you don't mm -hmm. know them. And do you look away? Do you lean out? Do you lean in? Do you try to make it all better? I don't think I tried to make her situation better. I think I just tried to be a customer that was halfway decent. And we just ended right. up having a funny misunderstanding because I'm a mumbler sometimes, but it just was just a real emotion and just a real moment. And so in that way, I just think I have to be open to all those things, but it also leaves me in a place where I have some gratitude about just what's going on in my life and just thinking those things through. Whereas if I wasn't writing Situation Normal and my catalytic converter had been stolen twice, I think I would be signing a petition to recall the DA. I think you took your own catalytic converter. Possible. Not twice. And also, I'm not that good at with cars. You've mentioned Seinfeld. But to me, this is Larry David, much more of the Davidian school of comedy than the Seinfeldian school. I'm not a what's the deal with kind of guy. I am much more of a, this situation just went from bad to worst. Oh my God, that's happening. That's always been the case for me. Even before I started doing this, people, friends and family would and coworkers would tell you that I'm some kind of a magnet. If something weird is happening, it's going to be happening to Michael. I've always been in yeah. a place where strangers have had no qualms about walking up to me and telling me exactly what they think of my face. That Those experiences are pretty normal to me. So in essence, situation normal is a response to you. You've always had a dynamic where peculiar things would happen, but now you have a place to put that stuff where you can push it out into the world and it can be, as you said, positive. It's useful material. A hundred percent. Now I'm really starting to think that you might've jumped up and down and cheered when you heard your catalytic converter were stolen. Uh, I can assure you I did not. I went through a lot of angst about it, but there are other things where something is happening in real time where I'm thinking this is good. I'll give you an example. My wife and I, our bags were lost at X flying home. And it was late at night and we had been traveling for 18 hours. It was a miserable day. And we went to this counter where you have to file the claim. And there's these two women who are working there and we're talking to them and we're filling out our paperwork. And then I have to give them my driver's license. And my driver's license was taken on a day where I was just having a Jerry Garcia's look. And that's how it looks on my driver's license. And when I handed over my driver's license, the woman, she looked at it and she goes, oh shit. She just took my license. She ran in the back and she was like, you got to see this. Everyone's got to see this. And they just spent so much time laughing about this photo. And I'm not having a good day and I'm tired and I'm yeah. like, I just want to go home and I want my stuff. They came back and the woman was, will you let us take a picture of just the picture? Because it's funny. And we have a wall of 
funny driver's license photos. And sometimes we have bad days and I'm thinking about their bad day at this point because they're only dealing with angry people. And she was like, our happy place is we just look at that wall of photos and we just laugh our asses off. And I was like, you know what? Go for it. Fine. If my face makes you laugh, God bless. If you've been to Los Angeles, I'm in the Valley. I grew up here too. It's a place called Sherman Oaks with big claim to fame as the Sherman Oaks Galleria. You've seen it at a million movies. You saw it in Commando and probably Terminator. I went to school in Santa Monica, so that's by the beach. It's just on the other side of the hill. Los Angeles is home. Christina, the very first time that we went away, like on a romantic couples weekend, I met her. She was working at NBC Universal. And so we've been dating for, I don't know, a month or two. We went up to Morro Bay, a, a little town north of Los Angeles a little seaside town. And just in checking into the motel, there was another couple that either didn't have reservations and the man just started pitching a fit and yelling and screaming. And then his wife started yelling and screaming. And then the clerk started yelling and screaming back. And I'm just still trying to check in. And this vortex of insanity is just happening around me. I get the key and I walk out back to the car to get Christina. And the, the clerk follows this angry couple out and he's yelling at them. They're like, we're going to mess you up. And he's come at me, bro. It's a real fight that's happening all around me. And Christina, that was, I think, the first time that she saw in real time. Yeah, holy shit. Weird things do happen around this dude. But for her credit, she was into it. She was like, yeah. I'm excited for this. More please. More please. It's been her attitude. And I'm just super grateful. It really sounds like a creative partnership of sorts. When your endeavor is that deep into the relationship and to the events that are happening to you, it's hard to find someone that is like enthusiastic. She's not like, oh God, again, she's like, oh, let me check this out. This is interesting. She is very enthusiastic. I'm happy for you. Your situation sounds better and better. Not that you ever made it sound bad, but it's like, yo, you got your how, you got your job, ghostwriting opinion pieces for executives, which is actually a part-time job that you've been in that industry for a while. So yeah. Film executive types buzzing around your sub stack. You've got an amazing creative partner. You try to sell yourself as a guy who'd only ever written for Facebook before. Oh. Yeah, I see. That's why I think I need to work on a bio. I need to get a better one. Like this motherfucker just only published on Facebook. But I don't judge people. I'm like, I had a great conversation. Maybe I should have been writing on Facebook. But no, it sounds like you're in a really whole position. You asked me before, it's like, oh, like, how do I describe myself? And I think I'm just in the, I, I guess I'm a comedic observer, right? My method is I put myself into a thing and I pay attention and I observe whatever is going on. <laughs> this is a story that I yep. wrote about shortly after I had switched on paid for sub. I basically said, Hey, if you become a paid subscriber, I will shout out your name in the next issue. And one day I got a trolling kind of comment that basically said, Hey, I became a paid subscriber and you didn't shout out my name. And that's not a good look that felt threatening and felt just brought on the anxiety. Oh, had I screwed somebody over? And then I did right. digging because the commenter's name was Gail and I didn't quite know who that was. And I like did some investigation and figured out that was actually an account that my mom had created. So she was the one who had left that comment, but she had, for some reason, she had used her middle name and that's Gail. So she was just, yeah. it was Gail. And so Gail was basically trolling me. And so this section is called A Few Words About Linda Gail Estrin. I've never really thought about my mom as an internet troll, but that's only because she sucks at the internet. Not that I'm throwing shade. Mom regularly tells everyone she knows she doesn't understand the internet. Internet ignorance was actually her first defense when I called her out for leaving the comment that set this whole story in motion. 
But beyond that specific incident, mom's observable behaviors in the digital world back up her self-described Luddite status. Some examples, mom signs her text messages and Facebook posts. Even though we've explained countless times that she doesn't need to sign texts and Facebook posts, she continues the practice because what do I know about any of this internet shit? Mom sometimes wishes people happy birthday on Facebook by adding poop emojis to her post because what do I know about this internet shit? But it takes more than being tech savvy to troll people online. You also have to have the spirit of the troll, a reckless devil-may-care attitude that inspires you to do it for the lulls. On that front, I had to admit that mom had always shown signs of trolling. Some examples. There's the aforementioned reckless driving, including a notorious incident when mom told her Missouri State Trooper that she was speeding through the show-me state because Missouri is fucking boring. There's a time mom found out that Christina makes more money than me and responded by telling my wife that she, quote, married beneath her. There's a time my mom called to recommend a novel because reading it will help you write a better novel. Gail's passive-aggressive situational comment, including that last sentence in praise of a lady who thinks I'm evil. And then I'll just, I'll read you the, the comment that she actually wrote because I clipped it here. Gail wrote, I love your writing. I love all your stories. But when you listed the people that paid for Situation Normal, you left my name out. Not a good thing to do to pain people. Also love the comments from the lady who thinks you're evil. And that's what my mom had to say. So that's what set this whole trolling story in motion. I love that. Are there things that you turn to for the well of inspiration short stories or is there a show that you watch on repeat because you just love the way it's structured that's a good question for the stuff that's on situation normal i draw some inspiration from david sedaris mm -hmm. i think also some of his essays are not designed to be funny they're just personal essays i'm mostly trying for the humor but he is very funny and i think reading his work particularly Let Me Talk Pretty One Day, but also Dress Your Family in Corduroy and When You're Engulfed in yeah. Flames. Those stories really resonated with me and they gave me like a permission to tell these kinds of stories. Are there three subsects that you would recommend and what about them lights up your heart? The first subsect I want to recommend, it's called Extra Evil and it's by Denard Dale. I just think Denard is the best joke writer. He's just a phenomenal joke writer. And he does this thing where if you subscribe to his newsletter, which you should subscribe to his newsletter, I think he calls it a newsreel. It's just headlines that he writes that should perfectly sum up a story that's in the news, but the headline is the joke. You know how I know something is like really good is when I look at it and I think like, how come I can't do that? Another substack that I love is Cafe Anne and that's Anne Cadet's substack. She's the first person that I found on substack where I felt there's a kindred spirit. And it's because mm -hmm. she's reporting on the city of New York as if it's a small town. Mm -hmm. But what she's doing is she's covering topics that a news would never cover, but they're still meaningful topics because there's things that people see every day, right? She did one where she just investigated where, where did the donut cart guys get their donuts? She does real shoe leather reporting where she does track this down and she meets interesting characters along the way. And I just love about her newsletter. She doesn't do it every week, a monthly thing, I think. But by being a New Yorker, she covers Eric Adams. It's called Eric Adams Watch. And she really just yeah. pulls quotes and she gives you a little bit of context of where the quote comes from because he says these really goofy things. I am shocked. New York is a city that has a very active press corps and a lot of local news coverage. I'm shocked that people are not writing about Anne's Eric Adams watch 
I'm shocked that the rest of the New York press isn't picking up on the things that she's picking up on, because whatever you think of his policies, he is a legitimately weird human being, a certified weirdo. In a city that has 10 million really weird people, he really stands out. And Anne just puts her finger on his weirdness in a way that is so very funny, but also feels intimate. This is a small town of 10 million people somehow. The third one I want to talk about a subsect by a woman named Jillian Hess, and it's called Noted. And Jillian is an academic. I think she's an English professor. She's really an expert in notebooks and note-taking and how all kinds of people, but mostly artists, but also other kinds of thinkers, how they basically organize their thoughts and their material and their research. And I am not a great note-taker at all. I like to read Noted for a lot of reasons. She did a piece on Jim Morrison's notebooks, The, the Singer of the Doors, and he's always been this like larger-than-life rock god slash poet, right? Reading his journal and reading what Jillian kind of had to say about it, it both lifts him up and brings him down to your level. You get to see his private thoughts, and you realize he's got messy handwriting. He's a little bit scattered. It's a little bit all over the place, but he was consistently putting down ideas into a space working through them and coming up with his art. And it's not something right. that he probably would have showed somebody when he was alive, but it's something that we yeah. have now. What Jillian Hess does and noted is just, she's a phenomenal writer. It's explaining who this person is and what they're doing. And she takes you inside of their work. And I love that. It was great talking with you, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, hey I just want to thank you. Okay. So that was a ton of fun. I really enjoyed having Michael on the show, getting to know him. It was a pleasure. So now is when you go over to Substack and you subscribe to Michael Estrin's Situation Normal. While you're there, go ahead and do yourself and future generations in your family a huge favor and subscribe to this show, Kurt Vonnegut Radio. Also, if you think that I should be able to eat while I make podcast episodes for you and you want to help pay for my groceries, I will be forever grateful. Also, if you're not able to make a financial contribution, you can make a huge contribution by going over to your favorite podcast app and write a review for the show. Tell me how I'm doing. How am I doing? How am I doing? And we'll be supporting the show because the more reviews we have, then the more the algorithm lifts it up into the heavens so that other listeners out there, and you know there's a lot that would love this show but don't know about it yet, will be shown the show by the algorithm. And so therein, you will be making your contribution to Kurt Vonnegut Radio. Stay safe out there, people. And I'll see you next time. Peace.